0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Who would have believed it? These men, ordinary men, fishermen, carpenters, farmers... They went out on a mission, like Jesus had sent them to do, and they came back reporting amazing results. They had healed people with their diseases. They had cast demons out of people who were demon-possessed. And they had taught people. They had taught them in instruction what faith in God can do. And here's the thing. It's the teaching part that is perhaps as miraculous as the rest. These were unlearned men. They were not university educated. They did not have um, schools to go to. They weren't trained in the ways that we would think. They weren't what we would call lettered men. They, They were laborers. They were common laborers and came from a long line of common laborers. The fishermen were children of fishermen. And their fathers before them were fishermen. And they had been fishing in the Sea of Galilee for years and years and years. Fishing was a way of life. Being a carpenter was a way of life. Farming was a way of life, and this was the only education many of them ever received. I'm sure that when they were children, they were in synagogue and they went and they learned the stories of the Bible. They learned the stories of David and Goliath. They learned the story that we heard today from 2nd Samuel 7. By the way, one of the most important passages in all the Bible, this promise to David of an enduring dynasty that would last forever. That there would just be a son of David who would be king over Israel forever they heard this story that was a little side didn't cost you any extra they um, they they heard these stories and knew them all and, and, but they weren't educated in the ways that we would typically think I, I'm sure they had I'm sure they had the flannel graph does anybody remember the flannel graph from your, your little ch- there was probably an ancient equivalent. It probably actually was the flannel graph. They probably had it way back in the first century. You know these little pictures that they would put up on these graphs and 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 you know tell the stories of of the Bible, but there was no university. There was no high school. For many of these people, they probably couldn't even read or write. And so when they come back to Jesus and they report these stories, did you hear what they said? They came back and they told him of all that they had done and all that they had taught. And you can, almost, you can almost sense the excitement that's going on there. They're so thrilled. You're not going to believe what we have to tell you. But then there's the other side of the fence. There are the people for whom, you know, who, who received their teaching, who received the miracles that they had done. And the people were probably just as amazed. You should not think of them as helplessly naive. Common people living in cities and villages but imagine these people, these men, these followers of Jesus coming in and teaching. You would have picked up on the accent real quick. You know, you would have known these are local fellows. You would have picked up on the poor grammar. You would have known right away that these aren't these aren't well-trained men. These are just common fellows, common laborers. They were fishermen and farmers and carpenters. And I'm guessing, and just bear with me, I'm guessing there was probably a little suspicion going on in, in the towns, don't you? And they saw these men coming in and teaching, and um, and there was a little bit of whispering going on in the beauty shops and the barbershops. I, I know that none of you have ever witnessed any of that, but I hear it goes on in places, you know, that, that people, you know, did you hear that that fellow Peter, who's out there preaching in the city street, did you hear that that he quit his job working for his father? Oh, his poor parents, what must they think? You know, he's a he's an can you imagine? I, I know you've probably never witnessed this, but I hear it goes on at time to Maybe across the card table at a cocktail party, maybe maybe other people, not you, but other people were involved in this kind of conversation. And I'm sure this was going on around the men that Jesus sent out. But here's what happened. Real bona fide miracles, real Priest Jesus miracles were taking place. People who were sick were healed. People who were mentally insane were set in their right mind. People who had visible tumors on their body saw those tumors disappear. People who had little children sick in bed with fevers saw their little children get up and go out and start playing. And if you've ever had a little child that's been sick in bed, you know that you oh you can't wait for them to get up and start annoying you, can you? You you just can't wait for that to happen. You long for them to go out and and hear them jumping rope or playing with little cars and and, and teasing their brothers and sisters. You and and don't think for a minute don't think for a minute that ancient people didn't want that too. That when they saw their little children sick in bed, and then they saw these men come in and lay hands on them and pray for them, and they saw that little child get up and walk out of that room, that it wasn't a, a, a come to Jesus moment. Oh my goodness, look what just happened here. And here's what does happen. People start to recognize them. You know, they might have been recognized as these kind of illiterate, unlearned preachers, but now they're recognized as healers. Now they're recognized as men who can make a difference in the lives of regular people. Listen, just listen to this passage from Mark's Gospel again. Jesus says to the apostles as they return, come away to a deserted place by yourselves and rest a while. For they were coming and going, and they even had no leisure even to eat. And they went away to a deserted place. Now listen to this. Now many people saw them going and recognized them. And they hurried to get to the place before they arrived. Later on in the passage, Mark says it again, they crossed over from in the boat, and when they got out of the boat, people at once recognized them. And they started running about trying to get there. No, these are not your conventional physicians. They haven't been trained in medical schools, they're not... They're not the kind of people that you would seek out, you know. You don't make an appointment with these fellows to go see them, you know, on Thursday morning at nine thirty. But they are making a difference in the lives of regular people. They have powers to heal. They have power to teach, and no one seems to know where that's coming from. But their reaction is clear. They're flocking to Jesus and his followers. Well, they're like rock stars. I mean, he's like the Justin Bieber of his day. You know, you don't know who Justin Bieber is. He's the Engelbert Humperdinck of his day. <laughs> you know hey guy. I love saying it, Engelbert Humperdinck. I mean, I don't know, it just kind of comes off the tongue, really. People recognize Jesus. They see him, they see his followers, and they want some of that. They're trying to get to them. Mark uses this really kind of cool literary device. He's very coy in the way he does it. It's irony. Mark uses this all the time. He 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 kind of sets us up as we're reading through and and we're reading through the gospel and we're saying, "Oh, people are recognizing him." Oh, look at this, they're recognizing him. They're, they see him and then the point really isn't that they recognize Jesus, but the other way around. He recognizes them. He sees what's going on in their lives. He knows that they're following him because they're desperate they have real life and death situations they have real needs real touch, tangible touchable needs there is there's no hospital in their world there are no physicians in their world there are no there are no psychiatrists in their world there are no medications to take listen there's no prophets that are coming around preaching there are no priests that are serving them faithfully in their temple there's no king in jerusalem it seems like the whole world is falling to pieces And then along comes Jesus. And here's the irony. They recognize Him, but He recognizes them. He knows what they need before they ever know what they need. uh, Mark uses this word uh, to recognize, epigenosko. It's to know thoroughly. Um, It's used all over the Bible uh, to recognize or realize something. Uh, Luke is writing in in, in the book of Acts, and he's talking about Paul who's arrested and and how the, the chief of police... Kind of felt like, oh, goodness, I didn't realize you're a Roman citizen. And they had not given him due process. Luke writes, the commander himself was alarmed when he realized that Paul, a Roman citizen, was in chains. Epigenosco, to realize, to note, to all of a sudden say, oh, oh I, I see that. You've had those moments, haven't you? Those moments of clarity where you're like, oh, yeah, I get it now. Oh, I, I didn't realize you were a Roman citizen. Oh, I didn't realize you wanted diet soda. You know, I didn't realize you liked opera. You know, you know this, Oh, I didn't realize moment. Um, you know, uh, every now and then, like uh, I, I just started picking it back up this year. I like to go out and golf a little bit. You know, I, I took a several years off, but kind of picked it back up. But a great thing always happens to me when I'm out golfing. You know, I, I, I'm with one, you know one other guy or something. And we get paired up with two fellows that we don't even know and uh, And so we'll go off and you know we'll kind of go along and, and do what you do out there golfing and having a little conversation. and I never bring up the "What do you do" conversation you know I, I kind of want to sneak it in, you know um, I know it's horrible, isn't it and uh, And usually about the second or third hole, you know they're telling me these really off color jokes. Um, yeah I know, and I'm saving it, you know I'm just keeping it in my pocket and uh, and then and then they use you know some words that are really colorful and and, and you know, I don't say anything, of course, and uh, and then about the ninth, hole, they'll say, Oh, by the way, Joe, what do you do? And that's when I bring it out, you know oh, I'm a priest. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry, you know. I didn't realize, you know I had no idea. Other days of the week, I walk around with this black shirt on and a white collar, you know, and I'll go into a restaurant and sit down by myself or, you know, and people come up to me that I've never met, you know. They'll come up and say, you know, my my daughter's sick. Will you pray for her? Uh, You know, if I walk into a hospital, I can't get to the room without praying for four or five people along the way, you know. I mean, I walk into those and, and they recognize me immediately. There's something about this kind of recognition of knowing Who you are. Jesus was recognized everywhere He went. But here's the thing. He recognized the people. He knew what they needed. He cared about what they cared about. You heard it early on in the passage, didn't you? The apostles come back. They're saying, you're not going to believe what happened. And Jesus says to them, come away. Come away to a quiet place. Because they didn't even have time to eat. They were so hurried about. He recognized that his closest friends needed some rest for their souls and food for their body. That they were no good to anyone if they didn't have these things. And so he takes the initiative. He recognizes the need that they have. And he calls them to do what's good for them. Later on in the passage, he goes ashore. And Jesus looks upon the people. And what does Mark say? He had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he taught them. He recognizes that the people, they don't have someone who's telling them the truth about God. They don't have someone who's telling them the truth about how to live in this world. And so he sees what they need. He takes the initiative. He gives to them what they need. Later on in the passage, whenever he'd walk into a village or a town, here they'd come, bringing the people, laying them down before him. He sees that they have a need for healing. He touches the people and as many as touched him were healed. You're already way ahead of me, I know. You've already turned this corner before I got there. Here's the thing. The Lord cares for us. He knows what we have need of before we know what we have need of. And when we get to that point, what do we find? He's already there. He knows us all together well. He cares about the things that we care about. He knows our needs. He knows our longings. He knows our desperation. And he cares about it. Mark says he looks upon the people and has compassion on them. This is a fantastic word in the original. It means to feel pain in your stomach. You know that time. You know that time when something happened in your life, and all of a sudden you said, maybe even said it to somebody, I felt like someone had punched me in the gut. Have you, ever, you know you said that. That's the word Mark uses. He says when Jesus gets out of the boat and sees the people, it's like someone hit Him in the stomach. He feels for them. And He feels for us. Mark wants us to know that the Lord of all creation cares about us. He cares about what's going on in our lives. He cares about our needs, whether they're physical or emotional or financial or a damaged relationship or the need for a job or the need for a house, the need for a friend. He knows what we have need of. And he cares about that. A few years ago, uh, Abby and I were were in Seattle. And um, and so we're in Seattle for a few days. and, And we get up early on a Saturday morning and went down to Pike's Place, the market. We wanted to see him throw those big fish around and insult the customers, you know what they do, you know. I was kind of pushing Abby up to the front so they'd insult her, and you know maybe a big giant fish would fly on, you know. So here we are, we're at we're at this market and 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 we're we're laughing and having a good time and we stay this for a while and then decide, well, you know, we're here, we might as well go shopping a little bit, you yeah, know, you do and browse from store to store and so we're going in this one store and another and and we go in this aromatherapy store which I thought was completely useless but you know we're looking around there are candles and. You know, we're smelling things and having commentary on them. Like, it's oh, awful, you know. Who would want that? And you know how you do. And I walked around a corner, and there was this Native American fellow, probably in his 50s, long braid all the way down the middle of his back. And he's sitting at this little table, like a little card table. On the other side of the card table, a young woman, late 30s, early 40s. And, um, and she's got her hand laying out on the table. This Native American guy is holding her hand, and he's looking at her palm. And he's telling her things about her life. He's interpreting events. You know, did you recently um, have an illness? You know, things like this. And, and, you know, I mean, this is sermon research. You know, I couldn't be expected to just walk out, you know. So, so I turn around and I'm I, like looking at stuff like I was shopping. But I was completely nosing in on this conversation all the way. And, uh, you know, kind of leaning that way. And, and, and he, he's, he's telling her about events in her life. And, and he's interpreting the meaning of them. And I I listened for a while and I walked out. And as I did, I felt real sadness for this young woman. You know, here she is. She got up early on a Saturday morning to go down and ask this fellow who doesn't know her and wouldn't know her if he ever saw her again on the street, is there any meaning in my life? Is my life of any value? Does it have any meaning? Is there any significance to these seemingly random events that take place in my life? You know what? You too got up early on a weekend morning, but you came here. Not for me to look at your palm, but for me to tell you something about how this big impersonal universe is run by a big personal God. Who knows you, who cares about you, who understands your joys and your pains. He understands what you have need of even before you ask. And he cares for you. And I think that's very good news. Don't you? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.